worked on the ro on a robot that could follow a green light around. Uh, and these are pretty big robots. I think it weighed in at about 150 pounds. They're pretty massive. Mm -hmm. And I remember holding a green light and having this robot chase me around. It was delightful. Hi, and welcome to the Toronto Tech Podcast. I'm Sergio Martins, and today I'm joined by Brooke Habtu. Brooke is a full-stack developer, culinary enthusiast, and was almost a firefighter. He'll share about the successful and not-so-successful things he's undertaken. Heads up to our listeners, I had a few audio quality issues with this episode, and as a result, I had to cut a portion where Brooke talks about the injury that led to him ultimately leaving his firefighting program. This has been a learning experience for me, and I've used that to improve episodes I've recorded since this one. Here's episode two of the Toronto Tech Podcast. You feel like you drink a gallon of tea? A gallon of tea, uh, at the very minimum. It used to be coffee, but uh, way too much acidity. Now it's just a gallon of tea. Same amount of caffeine, minus the stomach, stomach issues, I guess. Yeah, coffee wasn't sitting as well. <laughs> no, it's down to two coffees and a gallon of tea. Thanks for getting mine. Mm -hmm. So welcome, Brooke. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being on it. Why don't you start by telling people what you're up to right now? Yeah, for sure. Um, these days, I'm a, I'm a development engineer, so basically a, a software developer for uh, Points International, same as you, Sergio. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm essentially a full-stack developer. Uh, but the last few months have been primarily focused on a stateful uh, component library that my team is building out for another team to utilize. And, you know, outside of work and being a full stack dev, uh, I also maintain um, a small open source uh, Python web framework uh, called Femto. And in my spare time, I uh, some of my other hobbies uh, include things like making beer at home and uh, lots of things sort of centered around food and stuff like that. And that's mm -hmm. uh, I think that's me in a nutshell these days. And I know from from talking to you, you've always got a project, at least one project on the go besides work. Yeah, that's right. For better or worse, uh, sometimes I feel like I have no free time, but I feel like I do that to myself, so I kind of deserve it. Uh, yeah, like uh, it's gone to the point where I have a Trello board uh, sort of full of projects that I've <laughs> taken on, uh, ideas that I have and uh, things that I'm uh, doing right now. So yeah, for sure. Be being busy brings me happiness. Uh, I think that's, a, that's an important part of, I think, of who I am. Uh, sometimes it brings me lots of stress, but for the most part, I think it brings me a lot of joy. Uh, I'd asked you already what you're currently working on. One thing I'm curious about is why did you choose these projects that you're choosing? I chose to work on a, a small Python web framework, uh, not really with the intent that this is going to be some production uh, framework that people are going to be rushing to use or anything like that. It's more so that I've been working with frameworks like Django and Flask and uh, Pyramid, and I've used them so, so much that... I started to develop an opinion on how I thought a web framework's uh, UX should sort of look like, what I think is a, a good UX and uh, a great user experience. And I wanted to learn more about how they worked because I'd been using them for so, for so long. And I'm the kind of person who learns by doing something, by like creating or implementing something. So I said, you know what, uh, I'm going to treat this as a learning opportunity. I'm going to build one out and I'm going really, to try to focus on uh, UX. UX that I think is good. You know, someone else may take a look at it and be like, I, I don't know why you made those decisions. Uh, but for me personally, uh, that's that's why I chose to work on the small web framework. Um, as far as other projects are 
go, uh, the food and stuff like that. Uh, food's been a pretty big part of my life. Uh, growing up, uh, my parents were sort of the kind of people who insisted on growing everything. We had the really fortunate that we had a like a pretty big backyard in Toronto, which is really rare these days. So we grew a ton of stuff. We had like two large cherry trees. Uh, like my mom would get mad if someone came home with store uh, bought bread. So that, that was sort of my upbringing. Uh, it was less uh, going out and playing sports with kids and more uh, hanging out in the kitchen baking. Uh, so that just has been like a big part of my upbringing and uh, it's just developed into a hobby and something that I enjoy doing. I, I find it really Relaxing is very different than writing code. Sometimes it's an escape, uh, but mostly it's just another opportunity, just like writing code to build something, to create something. Yeah, there's definitely that parallel between making something in terms of code, something that works and something that's useful, and going in the garden, planting something, nurturing it, and having it, to, again, deliver fruit. You get something out of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's that, it's that whole process of creation. So let's talk a little bit about Femto. Uh, and you say you've designed it around a user experience that you think is good. Uh, yeah. And I did a little bit of research before this and found a blog. You had a blog with one post on it. Oh, no. And it was... Uh, what, uh, what blog is this? It was about SQL Alchemy and the frustrations you were having with it and the way that things were structured. This was from, I think, 2015 or 2014. Oh, was it, was it more related to... I think it was related to uh, getting Sphinx to auto-generate some documentation related to SQL Alchemy. It yes. was a long time ago. Uh, but uh, for the record, I don't have many frustrations with SQL Alchemy. I think it's actually um, one of the, the best written uh, libraries in Python. It is pretty amazing. It was more, I think it was more related to getting Sphinx to output some docs. Um, but yeah, that was a long time mm -hmm. ago. Yeah, it was a little while ago. Yeah. But I was curious if that was, it sort of planted the seed that over the over the years led you to ultimately make femto um i think it may, maybe not really um femto specifically but sort of uh that was my first i think the first time i ever had a i wanted to sort of dig into a library uh, that i was using a library of framework that i was using and uh that was a lot of fun it got me to a point where if i was working on something and i ran into a roadblock um I didn't just sort of stop there, especially if that roadblock was existed somewhere else in somebody else's source code, another library and something like that. Um, so it sort of encouraged me to sort of investigate those problems and uh, try to figure out ways to solve them. Mm -hmm. Now, you've been at this job a couple of years and even yeah. before this, another company. So you've been in the tech industry for a little while, quite a while now. Yeah. But your path from when you were younger to being the dev you are today was not so clear cut. Yeah, you're right. So I guess we should start from the beginning. I don't know if you remember the Command and Conquer uh, RTS series from Westwood Studios. Of course. Yeah. So uh, definitely my favorite game series of all time. And when I was younger, I uh, played tons of it. And that was sort of my foray into uh, development. And it's not real development. It was more working on mods, uh, which essentially came down to editing some INI files, really. Uh, that's really what it was. But um, it was pretty cool, and that sort of sparked my interest. And then... Um, when I was, I think, uh, 14 or so, one of my father's friends uh, was a developer. Uh, he was by hobby, uh, not by trade. And he found out that uh, I was doing this stuff. So he handed me a brand new copy of uh, VB 6.0 and a bunch of reference uh, material. It was a pretty heavy book. Um, <laughs> so I started off with VB when I was pretty young and then uh, slowly graduated to Python uh, a few years later. And... Uh, 
again, uh, that was because of video games. Um, there was the Game Blender, sorry, the Blender Game Engine. It was a great 3D, Blender's a great 3D modeling tool, uh, still in use today. Uh, I think, I think it must be like the most popular uh, 3D modeling rendering so open source software. It's fantastic and has a game engine. So I started making games in Blender, uh, exploring uh, 3D modeling uh, and a little bit of physics and um, just game programming in, in general. Uh, my parents were super supportive. They got me pretty much any book that I wanted to sort of related to that. And I, was re- and I was really fortunate. They really encouraged me to pursue that, like to the point where I went to a conference in Montreal. I think it was one of the first Game Blender conferences when I was, I must have been like 15-ish, something like that. My memory's really fuzzy, so I don't, I don't remember exactly how old. But I remember everybody else being dramatically older than me. Um, and obviously, as, as pretty much a child, not going to go to Montreal on my own, uh, my, my mom actually took off time to take me to Montreal because she knew that this was something that was important for me or to me. Um, so went to Montreal. Uh, she dropped me off at the conference. Got a few strange looks, was pretty young in uh, comparison to everybody else that was there. Uh, but I had a great time. And again, like that's, that's my parents and uh, people around me being really supportive of the decisions that I've made and sort of encouraging me to continue to learn. So, you know, fast forward to high school and uh, that's where uh, we met uh, as part of a mm-hmm. robotics team. And uh, that's with uh, First Robotics. And for anybody who doesn't know, First Robotics is an organization that uh, they host a competition uh, every year that high schools can compete in. They create a game, and you have to create a robot that sort of uh, falls within the rules of that game. So specifically, I remember one year, it was basically a robot that could pick up a ball and then like shoot it through a hoop. And there was an opportunity to also, uh, at the beginning of the game, the first 30 seconds was autonomous. So any robot that could score autonomously, those points were counted more, like, significantly more if i remember i think right. it was 10 times more i think it was 10 times more something like that so that, that was sort of the next step for uh you know writing code is uh getting on the robotics team at uh, george harvey collegiate and building out this robot uh learning a little bit more about uh artificial intelligence uh, i'd say probably one of the most even to this day like probably the most satisfying moment i've had as a developer or computer programmer was when we worked on the ro- on a robot that could follow a green light around. Uh, and these were pretty big robots. I think it weighed in at about 150 pounds. They're pretty massive. Mm-hmm. And I remember holding a green light and having this robot chase me around. It was delightful. Um, that really sticks out in my memory. Wow. Yeah. So that was a great experience. And then um, after high school, still continued to, to make games in Blender and uh, work on a few uh, Python projects here and there. But after high school, I went to Seneca College for computer programming and analysis. Um, that was short-lived, though. Uh, when I got into the program, um, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, hmm. You know, some of it may have been come down to not really developing a great work ethic. You know, at that time in my life, not really enjoying the classes, not wanting to go to the classes, to the point where I told myself that you know maybe this development thing really isn't for me because I'm really not enjoying these classes. So I ended up dropping out. And at that point, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. But I had uh, talked with a good friend of mine, and he said he was going to apply to the firefighting program at Seneca College. And, you know, I thought to myself, hey, maybe maybe that is something I would enjoy. It, You know, it's something that at the end of the day, I could go home and sort of really be proud of what I did. And, you know, my family is also very uh, community focused, right? Volunteering has been a big part of my family. 
uh, nonprofit stuff has been a big part of my family. A lot of my family works in nonprofit in the in as uh, doctors. Uh, sorry, not as doctors, as um, as uh, as nurses and uh, with the UN and uh, other NG- and NGOs as well. So. Uh, sort of volunteering and community has has really been a big part of my upbringing too and I felt like that whole being a developer I I wasn't getting that or I wouldn't get that and so I started to become disillusioned with that prospect but you know so you after getting involved in technology in high school and having a great experience um, being involved in robotics club you've pursued that in post-secondary and actually got discouraged and fell out of it and turned around and went to school for firefighting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And um, wow. it's quite the difference. Uh, I get a lot of odd looks when, when people ask me where I went to school. But yeah, so I applied to the Seneca College uh, pre-service firefighting program. And um, to be honest, it's probably the best decision I've ever made. And, no kidding. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I sit here today, I'm not a firefighter, uh, obviously. Um <laughs> But it's still the best decision I ever made. Um, going to school for computer programming, I pretty much coasted because I had, I think, because software development is something that I had done for a long time, albeit not at a great level or anything like that as, as, a, as a hobby, but it was still, a, it was a part of my life for a long time. So to go to school and then learn about things that I felt that I had already known, it wasn't, that also wasn't a great experience. So classes were really boring. So I just didn't show up to class. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just was not there and I wasn't enjoying it uh, firefighting was very different um, they were really strict if you miss like three days you like fail the class or something like that you know anything below 70% on a test was a fail um, now all of a sudden I was sort of forced to go from this kid who really slacked and coasted and did okay to um, someone who had to really work hard and to be honest, I've never had to work hard for much in my life until that point. That program sort of instilled a real work ethic in me. It, it took a lot of work, but I enjoyed it. And um, the other part that I really enjoyed about those classes was the camaraderie with the other guys and girls uh, that were in my class. It felt much more as another, like a, a second uh, sort of family. We would mm-hmm. spend a lot of time together. Like even outside of class. Yeah, yeah. Even even outside of class, we would spend uh, a lot of time together, and um, we'd have classes on the weekends. The classes on the weekends uh, were fire ground classes, uh, where we got to we got to learn about and do uh, like uh, automotive extrication and live fires and uh, things like that. So it was like on the ground practice and yeah, training. Yeah, exactly. So after a year and a half, uh, that's when I was about when I was full time uh, in that program. Uh, figured out I needed money. Uh, <laughs> school isn't free. So naturally, I looked for a job in software development. Um, it's what I knew how to do. So right. it made sense to look for a job. So I applied at a small company at the time uh, called Beanfield. And those in the Toronto area know that uh, Beanfield is an internet service provider, uh, telecom, uh, and they've been around for quite some time. And so they were doing some really cool stuff. So uh, they had a position for a junior Python developer to which I applied. Uh, looking back on the email that I had sent them, it was pretty rambly. Uh, so I'm surprised they hired me. And I didn't really have much as far as the resume went. Did you know Python before applying? Yeah, because the, the Blender game engine uh, used Python. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, I knew Python. Uh, I thought I really knew Python, but uh, like, like looking back at some of the code I've written, it's pretty horrific. 
So you had kind of taught yourself Python when you were learning this game engine in your spare time, and yeah. you were taking that knowledge to the job application. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I basically rambled on about some of the projects that I did. I did. Uh, uh, I showed off some of the games that I made in Blender. I had also worked on a, a crawler that would crawl the Toronto Fire uh, CAD webpage. And uh, basically what that was is Toronto Fire has this live page where they show calls that they're responding to. Oh, uh, yeah. but it's just text. Uh, I don't know how it is these days, but it's just sort of text, like at this intersection, responding to this call. So I wrote something in uh, in Python and uh, JavaScript to basically, or so basically, a web app that would scrape the data that they were putting up there and then plot calls on uh, Google Map, essentially. Oh wow! So you could kind of see like the live calls that were going on. That was a fun project to do. Just stuff like that. I wasn't really expecting to get it because I figured other people who were applying uh, are coming in with like um, CS backgrounds. And I was like, oh, right. I don't know how I'm going to compete with that. So I'm just going to ramble on about all the stuff I've done in my spare time. Um, and they decided to hire me. So it, your rambling worked. And yeah. You had, it sounds like a lot of projects behind you at that time. Yeah, I did. Um, it was all those projects uh, that I did in my spare yeah. time that helped me out. Yeah, so they, they saw your interest, you know. They saw that you put in this effort. And that's, at the end of the day, what matters. Yeah. So now you had this job. You had money coming in. Yeah. And you were in your firefighters program. Yeah, so I actually had to switch from a full-time to a part-time program for as firefighting. A student. Yeah, as a student. Okay. So that's when things get um, a lot more busy. So were you working full-time or part-time as well? I, I was working full-time. So wow. I remember my days would look something like this. Uh, I would go into the office for 8 a.m., which meant that I was up at 6 a.m. So I was up at 6 a.m. I'd finish 4, get to school for 5.45-ish. Classes, I believe, started around 6. And it would probably be around from 6 to 10. I'd spend it at class. And then uh, me and another guy uh, that I was in school with, we'd go to the gym, uh, get to the gym for 11 o'clock, probably finish around 12 30 uh get home by wow. probably 1 to 1 30 a.m and then sort of uh rinse repeat and oftentimes my weekends were also uh spoken for uh because uh, on the weekend we'd have a uh, fire grounds training uh and then when i wasn't doing that stuff i knew that i had to put on those 40 pounds or 50 pounds so that I could be competitive in my program and sort of do the stuff that That's I needed right. to do. So in addition to sort of all the schoolwork, all my other time was spent either on my personal coding projects or, again, more gym and just trying to eat as much food as possible because that's what I needed <laughs> to do. Um, so you still had personal projects on the go despite this insane schedule. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning, it was a lot more like code-related projects, still working on games, uh, things like that. And also working working on more web applications on the side. And the reason for that is I had just started this new job and I did not know what I was doing. Right. And I needed to work on these personal projects so that so that I could feel that I was competent uh, at my job at work, right? Right. So you wanted to learn more about what you were already using at work. Yeah. And so you, in your spare time, you, that's what you did. Yeah, that's right. So it was incredibly busy. Uh I don't think I could do that today. Today, I would be way too stressed out. Like I, I would just give up, but uh, was able to do that then. Uh, it worked out really nicely. Yeah. It really taught me sort of how important time management was, you know, the importance of work ethic. And, uh, and so over time, you persevered, you did it, you graduated, you became a firefighter. 
No, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, that's not. Unfortunately, that is not. That's not how the story goes. Right. Um, Something more interesting, I think, happened. Yeah, I started to enjoy development. I think a lot of that had to do with the team that I was working with. Um, mm. It was a great group of guys and girls uh, at Beanfield uh, on the development team. I had the opportunity to work with people who took a lot of time out of their day to mentor me to teach. And I found that really gratifying. So that whole community aspect that I liked about firefighting, um, mm, I figured present maybe, here. yeah, exactly. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I can get some of that enjoyment out of a, a job as a developer. Um, you know, uh, mentorship is incredibly important. Uh, because of the experience that I had at Beanfield, I went back to George Harvey to mentor uh, robotics teams after I finished up, right? Um, no kidding. And that left a big impact on me. After you, you felt this yourself, the, the role of mentorship, you actually went back and became a mentor within a community that was important to you. Yeah, absolutely. So now I could take those, exactly, I could, I could take those technical talents and I could still use those technical talents to sort of get back. Yeah, train the next generation. Absolutely. What was it like to do that? It was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of it was because uh, the kids that were there really picked up on stuff really quickly and because I had an opportunity to build robots again and like building things. <laughs> So it was a great opportunity. Yeah. I just want to call out quickly that you were building an autonomous vehicle more than a decade ago. Was before there was a ago? buzzword. How old were we? We that was even like sixteen. Then that's almost fourteen years ago. Fourteen years ago. Yeah. Yeah. As kid, as just and dumb that kids. was that wasn't something that we expected. You know, at least when I went into ro- robotics, because I got involved in the same program, that's but right. I think a, a quite a bit later than you did. Yeah. And uh, I didn't really know what to expect, but we went in there and, you know, it was a welcoming group. You didn't have to have any technical ability at all. Um, but if you were interested in it, you would, you know, dive in. And the opportunities to learn there, like it was an amazing program. It was funded and you had a clear goal. You had to build something that solved a problem or was able to play some game to participate in a contest with other schools. And it was a perfect introduction to the whole world of technology, which at the time, I actually, when I joined Robotics Club, had no programming experience or almost no programming experience. And that didn't matter. You know, everybody was welcoming. And there were people that focused more on the code. There were people that focused more on the hardware, like making arms that move and make wheels that turn properly and hooking everything up. And it, it didn't matter. There wasn't It wasn't clicky at all. It was just... Everybody was on a team. We were all trying to get something done. I don't even know how many life lessons and how many good things I learned from being in that program. Countless. Absolutely. Life-changing, right? And we were really, we were really fortunate. Um, the teacher that was leading that whole thing, I don't know if you remember, Mr. Melrose. Um, yeah. He spent a ton of his personal time uh, working on that, uh, helping everybody there spending a lot of his off hours, uh, probably much to the chagrin of his wife. <laughs> but he, he was such an important part of that. Um, yeah. So again, when I think of like mentorship and giving back, uh, he's another example, I think. So you Melrose, know. if you're listening, yeah, shout Melrose. out to you. <laughs> you uh, really made a difference in, in my life. Yeah, and, and, mine, and mine, mine as well, and probably more kids. And that really, I think that program really changed our trajectories for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. That pushed me over an edge. Yeah. Um, sorry, where were we? <laughs> the tangents. The tangents. Um, so anyways, I, I started to enjoy development uh, a bit more, you know, understanding that, uh, you know, even with those technical, with those technical skills, I, I could still give back and build things. And that was really attractive. 
that's nuts to me that you know you had some software in your early years and then started school for it actually didn't like it and came out of the industry went to pursue something like firefighting and then got unlucky and got yourself injured in a way that actually prevented you from moving forward in that and then the physio actually continued and even to this day it's been years since that happened yeah but luckily you had this fallback career that you already kind of proved to yourself that it was viable for you you enjoyed it it was it made sense and so it sounds like it was fortunate that you had these two different two different passions and you could fall back on the other yeah that's i uh incredibly lucky i think for a lot of people it's hard to find one thing i was really fortunate that i was able to find two things yeah and we've we've heard about a challenge that you had in your firefighting career what are some of the challenges you've had in the software world in pursuing your career there um i think for me uh i have a hard time uh picking things up immediately uh it takes me a bit longer a few more cycles i think than other people so um in order to sort of get to a point where i feel competent oftentimes it means i'm i'm picking up these extra projects just to explore and figure out why things work and uh i've been really lucky in that i've got to work with some really talented people and uh working with them and watching them pick things up at least for me what it looks like to be immediately and then having to have those or deal with similar problems and then not being able to do that uh I think initially at the beginning of my career that was a little bit of a imposter syndrome and I know that a lot of developers uh go through that it's not something that is unique to myself or my experience and we all sort of have different ways of learning and another one for me is uh as you probably know I I talk a lot <laughs> uh, it's the way that I work through problems like you think them out loud you talk to people about them yeah i whoever whoever's the closest person next to me uh they're probably going to get a earful as i you know rubber duck with them and for a long time i was always concerned about people thinking that you know i'm i'm pulling them aside because i don't really know what i'm doing and and we know sometimes i don't know what i'm doing but uh you were worried about your perception yeah absolutely but uh, as my career's uh gone on i just started to realize that sort of i think it just comes down sort of to the way that an individual learns or problem solves and just sort of being more okay with the way that i uh tackle problems because it's worked out for me so far without people complaining or maybe they complain and I'm not aware but for the most part without people complaining it it's worked out so far yeah yeah let me think of some more meaningful challenges cuz I didn't love the last one I thought that was perfect oh yeah I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people mm. the concept of imposter syndrome and the concept of it looks like everybody around me is going to pick this up fast and I'm not yeah. Yeah. that's everybody man for sure um another thing that I I think I've struggled with for most of my career. I think until really recently is uh a lot of developers are self-taught. But a lot of those same developers are self-taught and have uh, completed a program somewhere oftentimes a degree. So when it came to applying for jobs, not having a CS degree is uh probably has kept uh, me up quite a bit, you know, concerns about uh what employers would think, you know, who is this guy who hasn't really finished his program? It wasn't even a CS program that I dropped out of, it was a you know a program at a at a college just sort of being worried about that and the perception that uh you know other developers or uh potential employers uh, had of me and that's something that I think I've struggled with for a long time it's not really something that I think about today and I think that's just more due to sort of experience and by now I feel a lot more comfortable in my own skin and you know I think I'm a bit more aware of uh 
the abilities that I have and that I don't have. Also understanding that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the people that work with you are not really going to value that kind of stuff. It's sort of what you're able to produce. And, you know, that's the, Mm -hmm. that's really the important part. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing wrong with acknowledging what you know and what you don't know. And I, it's very important to me that the, the people I work with know who they are. You know, they know what they're good at and they know their limitations. And at the end of the day, that's what you want in a team. That's what I want in a team. You, you know, if you have six people who are exactly the same, you're not going to be as good a team as if you have six people who all are complementary to each other. Absolutely. So everybody's different. And that means that necessarily everybody's abilities are different. Yeah. So, yeah, we've talked about a lot about your path, how you got here, the work you've done in the, in the, in the past, the work that you're doing today. Um, we also talked about some, some of the really cool stuff that kind of hooked your interest, I think, in, in tech. Shout out Melrose. Yeah. Um, what we didn't talk about yet is this, this, this the interesting project that we both worked on, the Rocket to Pluto. Mm, is this the, the lawnmower? Yeah. Uh, Rocket to Pluto slash San Ezequiel Fortress. San Ezequiel yeah. Fortress. That was, an interesting, <laughs> that was an interesting one. Um, so that guy who uh, set that project up, he, it was more of a freelance kind of thing, but he was sort of my first paid uh, developer job thing uh initially what i had done for him was it was sort of an art piece and um he had a 3d model projected uh on a screen somewhere and a webcam uh and he wanted to be able to track people's eyes in the room i think at the time was just a one person at a time and as you move around the projection would sort of like uh, sort of rotate and update itself as if you're sort of walking around an object or something like that. Right. So that's where my relationship uh, with him started. Wow. But uh, fa- and then a few years after that, he had approached me to build like an automated lawnmower, and I was like, I could probably do the code, uh, but uh, I can't do much of like the the building of it. That that's definitely not my forte. I know a little bit. So then I was like, Hey Sergio, we did a robot together. Uh, yeah. Why not this? And I electrocuted myself twice in the same day. <laughs> That's great. To be fair, we both made mistakes that day. Yeah, don't um, don't touch the ends of a motorcycle battery with a wrench. Both ends. Yeah, bad idea. Don't. Uh, and if you're crimping a positive and a negative wire to the same length that are currently connected to the battery, mm. don't cut them at the same time. Oh yes, that was the other time. I think those were both me. That was. I pulled that one off as well. Yeah. But at the time, my only experience doing any sort of hardware were the robotics club. Yeah. And when you approached me with this project, I thought, you know, we've done hardware before. How tough could this be? This is fewer moving parts, you know, very simple design by comparison to a a robot that I think at the time we were building something that had an arm that would throw a ball. Yeah. Autonomously. (laughs) Autonomously. That's right. So this was way simpler. All I had to do was drive. Mm -hmm. With a blade on it? Yeah. That was not the safest part could, of our adventures. Yeah. Let's get a bunch of high school kids in a garage and let them build a lawnmower that moves around on its own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in hindsight, not the best idea. But I mean, as but, far as high schoolers go, I guess we were pretty well... Uh, he picked a good pair of high schoolers for the job. Yeah. <sighs> and neither of us sustained critical damage. So we didn't, we didn't we turned die. Out okay. We didn't die. We have our fingers. Yeah. All of them are still here. A few they less brain still... cells, but... Yeah, I definitely cooked a couple of electrical components, plugging them in wrong. Yeah. Um, but 
it was a great experience to learn. It absolutely, yeah, it absolutely was. And I think that was actually my, that would have been like the second uh, sort of project I've ever taken on in any kind of, you know, real world uh, kind of capacity. I don't know what it was like for you, but. I think it was. uh, Robotics Club was the only thing I'd really built. And then, and then it was that. Yeah. So you had the art installation at the time. I actually don't know if it ever got deployed anywhere. I know I had written some code for it, but I don't know. I don't know sort of what what came to be. Do you remember the guy's name? I only remember his first name, and I'm even if I did remember his last name, I'm kind of tentative to sort of put his name out there. But uh, Alan. Uh, So shout out to Alan. Thanks for the (laughs) outstanding learning experience that we got. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, just a small story about Alan when I had initially started working for him on these uh, kind of odd projects and stuff like that there were often times where like I didn't uh, I wasn't really able to deliver like I was a kid at the end of the day and I yeah. wasn't really able to deliver uh, but he still insisted on paying me and I felt like really awkward uh, taking the money I was just like no he's like listen man you, you spent your time I really appreciate it uh, so I guess he knew what he was getting into I was a kid at the end of the yeah. day yeah I, I I don't know a parallel in my adult life yeah like Definitely kudos to Alan for that leg up. And I hope we produced something that you got use out of yeah. that was I valuable. I don't know what be- even became of the lawnmower. I don't know that the lawnmower ever got I don't think finished. It, it never got finished. You're right. Never it did. was able. We had the driving motors working. The remote control was... We had an issue with the transistor on the... Well, when I first had built the, the, seri- the bunch of relays that did everything, there were two wires that I realized I had... St- soldered on backwards and I for every single circuit all four circuits so I caught that luckily before we plugged it in mm-hmm. otherwise that would have been I don't know eight hours ten hours of work mm-hmm. probably more than that just poured away and we would have had to replace those parts and do it again so you know the old the old sediment you know, measure twice cut once yeah yeah especially <laughs> Like wood is a lot cheaper than a series of electrical components. <laughs> Easier to come by too. Yeah. But actually since then, that gave me more confidence to go out and build more things. That's really cool. And I remember in university, one of the more interesting ones I had built was, uh, this is when Arduinos were starting to become popular. And what Arduinos are, are these little microcontrollers that they're kind of, they help you bridge the world of software where you write code and the world of hardware where you, you know, make LEDs blink and make motors spin and simple things like that. And one of the more interesting things I built in my university days was I wanted a Christmas tree that I could clap and it would turn on. Nice. But I didn't want to buy it. I wanted to build it. <laughs> so I got an Arduino, got a microphone, figured out what an amplifier was and how to hook it up and put a relay on it. And like I Googled my way through this thing. You know, I did not know what I was doing. But lo and behold, made it work. Didn't, didn't short out any parts. So I hooked it up right the first time and got it so that I can clap twice and my Christmas tree would turn on. And, you know, it was not perfect. It would also turn on and off if you slammed the door really hard. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's a feature. Uh, it's a feature, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, that's where, that's how you get started. And that, and I was doing that in the midst of exam season. So I really shouldn't have been doing that. But it was a great, at the time, stress reliever for me to just take a pause from 8, 10, 15 hours of studying in a row or like back to back and do some, take my mind off something, focus on something else. Yeah, something that you enjoy that you want to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you worked on sort of anything else? Any any more mechanical? Uh... Mechanical? I don't think so. 
I think that might have I, been the last mechanical project. I thought you had, um, maybe I'm getting my stories mixed up. There was somebody's birthday and there was like a balloon drop. And uh, yes, while it's not motorized, it's still very mechanical. That was, uh, yes, that, that was a coming together of duct tape and yarn <laughs> and a tarp that was in my garage. <laughs> so maybe not as elegant, but uh, still fun. Not as fancy. Not as fancy. Yeah. But the video that came out of that was it went off without a hitch like we pulled this thing back and there was probably 50 balloons that fell you know we did it we did a good job of that it also took us you know like 25 man hours to put the thing together yeah you know it was a room full of people there's some great pictures that i'll link to in the podcast notes yeah right on yeah it was pretty cool (laughs) thanks i'd forgotten about that that was a lot of fun one of the things that we both did in high school I think it was the networking course in our high school. Oh, I can't believe I forgot about that. Yeah. It's also really formative. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, f- for me, I went into school, I went into university for networking because I had that course in high school and never ended up working in networking at all. I'd always done software development, but that was kind of where I picked up a lot of interest and where, frankly, where I learned a lot of the fundamentals of the tech world. And that was one of the few courses we had together, I think. I think that was the only class we had together. Yeah. It was a great class. Um, so Cisco has this program called uh, Network Academy or Net Academy. And they partnered, I don't know with how many schools in Toronto, but they partnered uh, at the very least with our school, uh, George Harvey Collegiate. And they provided a lot of equipment, so switches, router, and some other gear, and access to all of their uh, course material. Uh, and the mm-hmm. purpose of this was that uh, high school students could finish this course. It had a hands-on component and an academic component, and you could finish this course and then write your CCNA. That's right. And the CCNA cert- certification, you know, it was a well-recognized certification. Even and today. I remember, I don't remember the guy's name, but one of our classmates finished the course, got a CCNA after high school, and he moved to Bermuda. Yeah. So. Um, that would be Josh. Uh, he, I actually saw him uh, last year. He came to visit and we went out for drinks. Um, so yeah, Josh finished uh, uh, high school. He got a CCNA. He got his CCNP. I think he also got his CCNIE, which is an incredible... Wow. Like, not a lot of people have that there, as far as I know. There are fewer people with CCIEs than there are with bars. Now I'm going to feel bad if he doesn't have it and I've said that he has it. I, I think he has it. I'm not sure. At the very least, I know he has his uh, CCNP. And he worked for an uh, ISP in Bermuda. Uh, I ended up working for an ISP in Toronto. That's right. Um, (laughs) I remember looking up to him when I was younger because he came back one year to just kind of say hi. And I was, I think I was in my fourth year of high school and he said, yeah, you know, I got the certification. And then what I wanted to do uh, was move out here and they paid for me to live there. They were paying him really well to work. Like they were paying his rent. For sure. And it, you know, that when I was in high school, like that was, that made me starry eyed. Absolutely. And I think for him also, there's the added benefit of like, um, that's where his family uh, was, uh, at least his mom, as far as I know. And uh, he's originally from Bermuda as well. So I, I imagine it was also that. really nice to, to go back home and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we, we've talked about a lot. Uh, one more question I wanted to ask you is, what's, what's next? Once you, once you wrap up Femto, your web service, your web framework, what's the next project you're looking at undertaking? That's a great question. Uh, I don't know. I don't know because I don't know if I can sort of just name one project, um, if that makes sense. I always have a few going on. Um, 
I think that as far as tech is concerned, uh, software development is concerned, is um, when I came to a point, uh, it was the first time I've ever used a schemas database. We use CouchDB here. Um, yeah, one of the databases we use. It's one, yeah, one of one of the databases we use. Uh, I thought it would be fun to sort of write my own implementation of Couch. No kidding. So uh, did the web framework. Uh, now I'll do like a small uh, DB engine. Um, I think that's sort of the next thing. Mind you, it's a toy project. It's going to be written in Python. It's not going to be really production ready. It's more to yeah. understand the way things work. Same as Femto. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be the next big one. And then, as far as other projects go outside the realm of tech, um, let me think. Uh, yeah, I got nothing. Sorry, we're going right. to have to stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. The thing that I really get when I talk to you is you want to learn always by doing. You want to you want to get your hands in there and you want to see why things are the way they are and you want to prove it to yourself. I just, uh, sorry, I wanted to double Go back. It. I was just like, because my memory is really crappy. So as far as like a non-tech project goes, um, it's slightly technical, but it's in, it involves food and... Um, your, your other, other passion. My other, other passion, <laughs> in case this development thing doesn't work out. Uh, there's this great book I picked up. Uh, the, it's the Noma Guide to Fermentation. Uh, Noma is a great restaurant in Copenhagen. And... Um, for a while, they carried the number one spot, the number one restaurant in the world, and they do a lot of really cool, innovative things there. And they just released a book on uh, fermentation. But I live in a small condo in downtown Toronto, so I don't really have like a gigantic fridge or something else that I can use uh, to ferment or cure. Um, so the plan is, is uh, with a Arduino a humidifier, uh, some kind of heat source, and an enclosure, I want to build out a small fermentation. Uh, chamber to sort of power some of these wow. projects that I'm working on and that's the plan uh, right now I try to use my fridge from time to time uh, but uh, it's going to get to the point where uh, my partner who lives with me uh, I don't think she's going to be very pleased about all the curing that's going to be happening in the fridge because we do need just things to eat for day to day yeah <laughs> well that's a really interesting one and it crosses two lines of things you're passionate about yeah well, I, have, I know a little bit of hardware. Maybe that's something. I can yeah, lend you maybe. my Arduino. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, Brooke, thanks so much for being on here. Well, thank you for having me. It's been mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, I really got a lot out of the stories you told, and especially the different passions and the way you... The... I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Anyways, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you, Brooke, for being on the podcast. This is your community, Toronto. Connect with us and send us your feedback at Toronto Tech Podcast on Twitter or at torontotechpodcast.ca. Today's closing features music from a local Toronto band. This is Always Down by Side Hustle. <laughs>